This is Teachable Moment, the show where you get to know the people that make LCC go. I'm Steve Robinson, president of Lansing Community College, and I go one-on-one with a member of our campus community to learn about a key concept or idea from their area of expertise. It's a show about what makes LCC great, the fantastic people with inspiring ideas who change lives every day in their incredible work. My guest today is Dave Williams. He's an adjunct instructor in electrical technology, which is part of our technical careers division. Dave was also recently appointed to the State Fire Safety Board, which is an amazing honor. He's here to talk about some of the current technologies we should be aware of. Welcome, Dave. How are you doing? I'm very good. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. It's great to have you on the show. Before we get to your teachable moment, tell me a little bit about your time here at LCC. How long have you been an adjunct instructor? Uh, about 25 years. That's Actually, a, a little over 25. Oh, that's a good run. And so what kind of classes have you been teaching for us? You know, for the longest time, I was just teaching the Electrical Code 1 class, the introductory course to the National Electrical Code. Okay, great. And since then, I've also taught uh, a basic wiring class, Okay. which is more a lab-based class. And then I also teach a class covering the um, state laws, referencing construction and electrical installations. Okay, so a lot of your students were going into construction uh, and, and needed to know this important stuff about code and, and, and all the wiring and electrical. <clears throat> Yeah, and in fact, I just uh, saw something from um, LCC today that this is National Apprenticeship Week. It's absolutely, that's right. Today is Monday, and it's the Monday of Apprenticeship Week, which is really important for us. So there are a lot of electrical apprentices out and there. And it's a lot of my students are electrical apprentices or want to be an electrical apprentice. Well, on the subject of apprentices and the important work that you teach our students, one of the things that I've been fascinated about is... These kinds of careers in electrical are some of the most automation proof out there, right? You can't really treat, uh, um, program a robot to go in and, and wire a house, can you? No, it takes the knowledge uh, both, you know, it, it takes more than just being book smart. It takes a lot of years in the field to understand what you need to do. And, and what I know about automation is that it's um, highly repetitive uh, work that is, that is done the same time every time. And from the little I know about your field, the principles are the same, but the context and the um, actually doing it is often highly variable, right? That was one of the nicest things about the electrical trade that, you know, you may be doing something one day, but the next day or 10 minutes later, it could be totally something different. And it has a lot of different facets that you have to work with, which is neat. It is neat. And when we think about how important electricity is to our lives, I mean, there's something that we take for granted, but just about everything we do is mediated by safely getting electrical current from one place to the other. So um, it's, I'm really excited to talk to you about this because it's something that's vital to our lives. And we, we take it for granted at times, but all of a sudden... You know, we had that storm probably you know, maybe six years ago, and all of a sudden we were a lot without power in a lot of the area around here for, in some cases, over a week. And uh, you definitely realize how important it is. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, including right up to our little devices that are in our pockets and even all the equipment that I'm using to uh, talk to you with right now wouldn't work without electricity. So um, that kind of gets to your teachable moment. I'm really interested uh, to learn something from you. Tell me your teachable moment. I'm assuming it has to do with electricity. It has to do mostly with electrical codes. Okay, let's talk about that. I've, uh, I've been in the electrical field uh, since 1974, Okay, <laughs> so a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, 
the National Electrical Code is a document that's been around since 1897. 1897? Yeah, so it's been a couple years. That's almost as old as having electricity coming into buildings, right? Yeah, I think that was in 1896. And again, Edison's so-called invention posed no fire danger whatsoever. It was determined that there is fire danger. Was was that a real claim? Did he? Cla- yes, he did. He claimed yes. there was no fire danger with electricity. Right. And I I bet you could probably quickly put your finger on the number of residential fires that are caused by electricity. It's oh, probably I, very high. I very high. Yeah. Just so, just electrical fires alone is pretty substantial. I would imagine. Okay, so you're going to talk to me about the electrical code. Uh, I'm interested. Okay. Uh, The National Electrical Code, as I mentioned, has been around since 1897, and it covers both residential, commercial, industrial, you know, hospitals. Everything is pretty much covered in that one book. I mean, there's about 900 pages worth, but everything is pretty much there. Okay. And um, Michigan, they adopted what they called a Michigan Residential Code. So we adopted the 2015 Residential Code, which covers what's in the National Electrical Code from the 2014 edition. And since then, Michigan has adopted the 2017 edition. The Electrical Code is revised every three years. And when you think of the technology that keeps changing, it's just, it's behind when you even start it. Right. So I'm just as a lay person, I'm thinking about all the little USB things that we charge. I'm thinking about LED lights. What are, what are some of the changes in the most recent version? Well, um, the 2020 code was was uh, was published in August of last year. Okay. And we're presently on the cycle for the 2023 edition. Okay, so we're already getting ready to revise. Yeah, and um, the code panel meetings will occur next starting next month. And there's something called in there, like with the USBs you're referring to, uh, there's something called digital electricity, which is like 400 volts pulsing action. And it's it sends the circuit out and it... It gets a, a feedback every every milli in milliseconds to let you know that everything is still safe. Okay, so let me break that down and make sure I understand. So when I hear the word digital, I'm thinking zeros and ones are on and off, right? Is mm-hmm. that what's happening? Yeah, is rather than a straight current, it's turning on and off at a very high rate. Yes, it's called DC pulse, is what they call it. Yeah, okay. it's going to be interesting. But DC for, on the pulse part is the on and off part. Exactly. Because uh, I'm trying to remember, DC would be <clears throat> direct current, right? But yes. on and off. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting, interesting. So tell me a, a little bit more about these codes and how they might be relevant to people's lives. Well, everybody owns a house. Yeah, we, yeah or lives somewhere or with lives, electricity. Yeah, right. Or lives in a, in a building that has electricity in it, for sure. That's pretty common. And... Uh, we have a lot of life safety features that have been added to the electrical codes for for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, GFCIs that somebody people are real familiar with are the like the test reset buttons that you see like in bathrooms or by a kitchen sink or something like that. Right. And tell me, I think I know, but tell me the purpose of those. A ground fault circuit interrupter it senses when a ground fault condition exists and it will de-energize the circuit within in about one fortieth of a second. That fast. Before anybody could get a shock that would kill them. Got it. So all the places that I've seen them are close to water, right? Like, so you wouldn't want a hairdryer, you know, to uh, transmit electricity to somebody who's holding it next to a sink and things like that. And they found that they've, and unfortunately, with most of our changes that we have in the electrical code, well, I shouldn't say most of them, 
a lot of the changes occur due to fatalities or injuries that have occurred. Okay. And uh, recently they've added uh, GFCI protection for even 240-volt equipment that um, we'd never had before. And, really? And what they found that there was a couple fatalities where little kids were playing hide-and-go-seek in their house, and they were next to the dryer, which was miswired. And it was providing power to the frame, and children passed away. So I think I uh, I think I know this, but the gen in the United States, the our outlets are what 120 volts. Yes. And so those appliances are double that, right? Yeah. So the, the, two, the ranges and dryers uh, would be like 240 volts. So and and uh, suffice it to say, the more current, the more deadly, right? And For that's sure. why that those. Uh, yeah, because I'd never seen a GFCI on a on a appliance outlet, but no. that's going to be required. I, yeah, well, in the uh, 2017 code, it does require that already in certain locations. If it's within so many feet of a sink, or if it's a place that normally requires it. Okay. And uh, that would make my own home out of compliance. But back in Ohio, right? Because <clears throat> we're. Uh, the dryer is right next to a utility sink, and I'm pretty sure that that's not doesn't have a ground fault. You know, that's one good thing that once you build a house, it's built according to the code at that time. Okay. And just because the code changes every three years, it doesn't make you have to go back and redo your house. Oh, I see. So, Thank goodness. <laughs> so the, yeah, right. So that house was built in the '80s, and so yeah. the, the whatever the code was in 1988 is sort of the 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 law of the land for for that home. For the wiring that's in it at the present time. Oh, but if you upgrade, you might have to. An example is we have a requirement that if you replace any devices in the home that may, the current code requires GFCI protection, it would need to be replaced and have GFI protection at that time. Got it. So if my, in using my own home as an example with that dryer, if I were going to have that outlet, that 240 outlet rewired, it would have to come up to the code. Yeah, and, and there's a good chance, it would probably mostly if it was a relocation, because uh, I don't think you're going to see 240-volt GFCI receptacles, but they would probably be installed at the circuit breaker panel, and they would put a breaker there okay, that's GFI-protected. Yeah, so tell me more about these. This is fascinating to me. Uh, how else does this impact everybody's life, these codes? Um, I mean, there's a lot of other things besides GFCIs, for sure. Sure. Um, in the... See, that was in the 1968 code that it came out. The ground fault went yeah. to 1968. Yeah, so it's been like 52 years, 52 I guess. 52 years. That, wow. I, that's you can understand that one. <laughs> yeah, that's the year I was born. So, and, and again, probably uh, driven by safety problems, right? The, these codes are, I'm assuming there's some groups that are, are um, looking at safety data and, and fatalities. And, you and, know, when you say that, that brings up a great point. Yeah. When um, the GFCIs first went in the code, there was a lot of pushback from a lot of associations saying, well, how do we even know these will work and how many people is it going to really save? You know? Interesting. And actually, I did an article in a, uh, the International Association of Electrical Inspectors magazine in January of this year that talked about how many lives GFCIs will save. So you wrote this article? I did, yeah. Great. So where did you get those data? Uh, from CPSC, which is the Consumer Product Safety Commission. I, I know Sorry. it very well. My 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 stepmother was a commissioner. Oh, is that of right? The CPSC, yes, and um, so that's and and they have a whole uh, research arm. Oh, they so do. you used CPSC data for mm -hmm. your article, and also ESFI, which is a Electrical F uh, Foundation 
Electrical Safety Foundation. Fantastic. Well, yeah. and you know, and that's, to me, that's what's kind of cool about applied science and a lot of the trades that we're talking about is making improvements to make life better. And, you know, we started off talking about the history of electricity. That's why we're using electricity, right? To make life easier and better. And we want to keep everybody safe. Absolutely. Absolutely. But with the the GFIs, when they first came out, they were recording about 1,100 electrocutions annually from those type of incidences. And again, we had no data to back everything up. But over the 52 years, now we're down to less than 100 or around 100 a year. That's an incredible reduction with with a dramatic increase in population. And when you think about it, I would say probably 50% of the homes that we have today Mm -hmm. are probably built prior to GFCIs and may not have GFCI protection. How much? What percentage? About 50% is is what uh, some of the data I've heard. So there's a lot of circuits that aren't GFCI protected. But if the impact on electrocutions was that um, drastic, drastic, uh, impactful then those new builds are really having a really big effect on fatalities. For sure. That's excellent. What are some other safety innovations? Some of, everybody, I think, knows what we're talking about with the GFCI. You know, the, this is the, the outlet you have to kind of reset if, it, if the circuit trips. But what are some other examples of safety innovations? Well, there's, there's definitely some more. <laughs> um, there's a term called arc fault circuit interrupter. No, I this, haven't heard of this one. This was added in the 1999 code. Okay. Um, and it's designed to, it senses the sine wave of the circuit. And if there's a nuisance arcing going on that could cause uh, a fire condition, it de-energizes the circuit in about a tenth of a second. Really? So this should prevent most electrical fires in residential occupancies. So you you might have to backtrack and teach me something here. Okay. So that... So that arcing, uh, tell the me sine what, wave. It's the sine wave. Okay, so it's up and down. Yep. Um, tell me, A, what that is and why it's bad. Uh, the sine wave is, on any electrical circuit, there's a sine wave. You know, it references the 60 cycles per second. Okay, right. And if there's any arcing going on, you're getting really drastic spikes Interesting. in that. And what, what would cause that? Um, arcing could be a cord that shorted out a loose connection. There's uh, a number of different things that could, even motors would have some kind of a, of, of an arc, uh, sine wave. Interesting. And, and that was a big issue with the manufacturers. We need to know the difference between a good arc and a bad arc. Okay. And it took a lot of programming where they could sense them and to know the difference, because when you think of a vacuum cleaner, if you unplug it, you're going to see an arc if it's running. And, but there's a difference in those type of arcs, whether it's a uh, one from a fire condition or uh, just a normal light switch would cause an arc. So, so this innovation you're talking about, it senses the bad arcs mm-hmm. and it shuts them down in a fraction of a second. Yes. Okay, I would imagine those uh, kinds of products would... Uh, would have a safety impact too. Now that's recent, relatively yeah. recent. And, and unfortunately, Michigan had it for, I think maybe two code cycles and then they removed it from the Michigan code. Really? And again, that, there was a lot of push from uh, the Home Builders Association and uh, other areas of the country have 
I think Michigan is probably one of the only states that doesn't have arc falls at this point. Interesting. And I'm guessing, not to stereotype this state, but I'm imagining no. that a lot of the uh, stuff from California is probably more safety conscious than the rest. Is it is it the same way the, as it is with other products? Uh, I think the arc falls are pretty much nationwide. That's that's uh, across the country, but yeah. we're kind of an outlier. We are, and, and I'm hoping that we can get that put back into the residential code. But, and that's probably what? It's it's cost, right? Is that why the Home Builders Association are yes. pushing back? Because that would bring up materials cost? The the cost of it's probably about $35 per breaker. Okay. And if you think a normal panel, that could add up. Okay. But a normal breaker is probably f- uh, 5 to $10. So how many it's not breaker, that How many breakers in a, in a normal residential house? If you wired it per code, it wouldn't be that many. But I would say most general ones that I see are probably more like 15 breakers. Okay, 15. But when you think of it, most circuit breakers are there for the life of the home for the most part. Right, right. And then when I think about it, uh, when when you said about $30 per breaker, Mm -hmm. uh, when you think about it over the life of a home and you think about the, uh, the catastrophic loss of a home by fire, I think you could make a pretty good ROI argument that uh, investing that safety equipment on the front end would save money. Yeah, and when you think about it, if you put in a uh, a ceramic or uh, those granite countertops, I mean, this is so much cheaper to do that <laughs> or to put the AFCIs to protect your home as opposed to something you can see. Or maybe a, it would equate to maybe about the cost of a foot of your driveway. You know, when you put it that way, it it really makes it a very concrete example of the choices people make, (laughs) right? For sure, they're choosing the uh, aesthetics, aesthetics over safety. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And then the other thing is, having been a homeowner for a while, it it, you you do it, but it's always difficult to invest a lot of money into something you really can't see or appreciate, like a water heater, right? This is the equivalent of that kind of cost, where you know you're from your perspective, your lamp or your radio is going to work the same whether it's on one of these circuits or not, right? Yeah. So it's a function of investing. What do you think ordinary Americans ought to know about electrical code, apart from these very cool safety innovations you've well, talked about? You know, one of the things that I think most people feel that if they build a new home, that it's complying with the most current electrical code that there is. I would have thought that. Is that not true? And that's not true. <laughs> really? Talk to me about a, that. A good example in Michigan, we're working on uh, the 2015 residential code, mm-hmm. which equates to the 2014 electrical code. Well, we've had the 17 and we've had the 20 since then. So, I mean, technology has changed a lot. You know, but, when, and when I look about these these normal circuit breakers that we have in most of our homes, mm-hmm. that technology is based on 1930s technology. Right. And so, but but talk to me about that again. So if I buy a new build here in Michigan, like this season, there's a chance that it could have been built with uh, two versions ago, version of the code? Um, yes. It I'll just be really um, uh, naive about that. Why is that allowed? Uh, that, that's a tough one. And, uh, I guess there are no like, uh, electricity cops going from house to house, but, but how, how, who, who approves that? Um, the electrical code is adopted by the department of Laura, which is the licensing, the licensing and regulatory affairs. Okay. And, um, it's, and the residential code is based on a six year cycle, even though the electrical code changes every three years. 
Oh, now I get it. So what you're telling me is there's a gap between the residential construction code and the changes in electrical code. In Michigan. In in Michigan. Okay. Other, other places have adopted the residential code every three years like the model codes normally would change. Interesting. So that makes Michigan kind of, a, again, an outlier. Unfortunately. Um, so, so coming back to our new build example, um, it could be uh, two... Uh, versions of the code, uh, electrical code out, but it's complying with the construction the, the, code. The codes that we have in Michigan, it's the current code, I Interesting. guess. Interesting. You know, and when I think about some of the regional builders, you know, uh, they build in different states. Mm -hmm. it, it, um, one argument could be made to say, wouldn't it be easier to build them all to the same code and not be doing it? And I'll go, here's for Michigan, here's for Indiana, here's for Ohio. Yeah. Years ago, um, we didn't have the state construction, the single state construction code act. So you could have the city of Lansing, East Lansing, Delta township, all on different cycles of the code. Wow. Well, which was ugly when you think about it, but now they've got it. So everybody in Michigan is under the same code and you can't have any local amendments. So, which is very nice. It makes it easier for the builders and the electricians, as well as anybody out there trying to teach it as well as people trying to uh, comply with it. They don't have to worry about, well, what are the requirements over there? It's the same throughout the state of Michigan. Well, that gets to a question I wanted to ask you. First of all, make an observation, see if it's right. Um, it, what I hear you saying is while we've gone to a statewide uh, code, it used to be very local. It used to be at the level of maybe a municipality or uh, a, a, a county. As uh, far as the adoption. Uh, yes. The adoption. So, um, and, and, I'm the proudest American there ever was, but it seems to me that's a very American thing to have something very decentralized and local. I mean, mm -hmm. a, a lot of things are like that, including our community colleges They're the same right. way. But it gets to a, a question I had. Um, some people, if you've traveled internationally, will notice that electricity is different in different parts of the world, right? Oh, right. I have yeah. a sister who lives in Sweden and uh, electricity is very different in the, there. Um, Talk to me about why that is. Why is it not the same everywhere? Um, why does it seem to work one way in North America and different in the EU? Well, um, I'm not exactly sure why it's why they use 240. They usually use a 240 volt system. Okay, so they're the on 240 country. over there. And um, it, like when most people travel, they have to take those little adapters. Little inverters, them. yeah. The National Electrical Code is pretty unique because it's used... Um, through countries throughout the South Americas. Uh, oh. They use it in Mexico. Actually, it was translated into Spanish in 1926. Really? Okay, so... That, that was amazing to me. That, that That is amazing. So, But and but now I'm just thinking about... Uh, there, I mean, there, there are variations on everything, not electricity, but language and rules and laws, but um, something as, as specific as the amount of current running through your wall, um, what... From a technical standpoint, why do you suppose we have 110 as residential as opposed to 220? Or is, yeah, what, what, did I get them right? Or is it 120 and 240? Yeah, it's 120 and 240. It used to be 110 and 220. Uh, I must have dated myself by saying 110. Well, I think that's what we grew up on for or most people. Okay. And I think over the years, they've increased the voltages. Uh, by, the, by increasing the voltage, you reduce the current, so you can use smaller wire. Oh, okay. So, so it helps the utility companies. They can, by increasing the voltage, they can reduce their uh, the size of the wires 
as well. That might be. I mean, when I, what, from what I know about the European economies, is those uh, those big uh, efficiencies are are kind of built into a lot of systems. So, can they use lighter construction materials because they're sending more voltage through? Yeah, they could use smaller wire for sure. Because you wouldn't need a, a a larger circuit because you can run a lot more with that same ampacity. Well, that I learned that that makes sense to me. And yeah. so you said you didn't have an answer, but I think that's a great one. You know, it's kind of interesting that, you know, they just changed the GFI requirements in the 2017 to go to up to 240 volts. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's kind of crazy, but it wasn't much more than three months after that. I went to a house mm-hmm. that had a 240 volt receptacle in their bathroom. For what? I thought. And I went to their kitchen, and they had a 240-volt receptacle on their kitchen counters. I thought, what? What What and, everyday items would require that kind of voltage? Um, I asked the contractor if he had any idea, and he, and he was he said he didn't know about the bathroom, but he said in the, uh, in the kitchen they have like a rice cooker. So I'm assuming they ha- are from another country and maybe have people that come that use the 240 volts. So it would be available for them. That would make sense. Because yeah. you know what? I've never asked this question uh, because my sister, when she comes to the States, um, you know, they have these, they, they have it all figured out. But so are there pieces of equipment that um, people would use in Europe that they just couldn't use here because there wasn't enough voltage? Yes, for sure. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Well, anything else you want to teach me about this? Uh, I've got a couple more. Yeah, uh, please. There's a, a tamper resistant requirement that would in in the 2008 code. Uh, I think everybody remembers years ago putting those little tamper-resistant plugs into their receptacles. Oh, their I still kids. have some lying around from when my kids are little. And uh, all of a sudden, the code changed that said you had to have a tamper-resistant receptacle. I'm thinking, what do we need that for? And it's kind of interesting to actually understand why the code-making panels make their, their changes, and they have to have some pretty good substantiation. I would say probably 80% of the proposals for each code cycle fail. Interesting. So there, so uh, uh, eight out of 10 that are brought there for a change, they say no. Because they're not enough substantiation. Interesting. Yeah. I've served on the National Electrical Code Committees probably since the 2008 code. Mm-hmm. And uh, so with... With this change, I first as soon as I heard the change, I had to go look in the preprint, and they did a 10-year study of hospital emergency rooms and found that seven kids a day were being injured by electricity by plugging things into outlets. Seven kids a day. That's and, a lot. And so these tamper-resistant receptacles are just, they have a, a mechanical interlock that requires both blades being inserted at the same time in order for it to release to plug in. So now, an interesting change. And now are those are required now? Yeah, they've been since 2008. So if I went to the big box hardware store and grabbed some outlets, they would they would conform with that? Um, they probably sell both. Really? Yeah, because uh, you can also buy plastic dryer duct at, at Myers if you wanted to. Even though it doesn't comply with anything, they sell it. I see. Okay. It's unfortunate because... Now, from the, ex, from the outside, because I have replaced some outlets, um, mm-hmm. the... Is there something about the external design of these that I would say, oh, these are tamper resistant, or is it back inside? You would have to look into where the blade plugs in uh-huh. and to see if it has the shutters there that would block somebody from sticking uh, a key, a bobby pin, or whatever in there that could 
So it that's a mechanical thing, right? Mechanical- basically, if I were to take like um, a screwdriver, right? That's probably what most people would think of and put it into one side. It wouldn't go in because there isn't something going in the other yeah. side. You know, I have this memory when I was a little, little kid of uh, of taking a pair of scissors and cutting the cord in the back of the television. And I got the biggest, it, they were, they were uh, safety scissors <clears throat> with rubber rubber things around the, the finger holes. But I knew that I did something wrong because it went zap. I mean, it, it really was a big deal. Now with that, a normal circuit breaker would probably not trip because there probably wasn't a dead short or enough current to trip that breaker. The arc faults trip or pick up a current of about, uh, it, it analyzes eight cycles, um, uh, eight cycles, and there's 60 cycles per second. Mm-hmm. And if there's eight arcing cycles, it's going to trip that, that arc fault. Okay, so that arc fault that we talked about would have probably kept anything bad from happening uh, when I cut that cord. Yeah, or the GFCIs also may have done yeah. that as well. This one, I remembered, it was a big, a big flash, and there was a cut into the, and it was burned, the metal of the scissors were burned. I came away from that having a very healthy... Uh, respect for electricity. I think a lot of electricians over the years have had side cutters where they've got little burn marks in them, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. So any anything, I have one question that maybe maybe we don't have a lot of detail about, but I'll save that until the end. Anything else you want to teach me about? I, I do have another one. Yeah, good. Um, a number of cycles, they've been trying to get surge protection requirements for dwelling units. Okay. And... Uh, for the longest time, you know, we we realized that we've got a lot of electronics that are in the homes. Yep. And the code panels were adamant that, you know, that's more of a design issue that, you know, to protect your TV, you know, we're not really, that's up to you. And if it goes bad, it's not going to really, well, it could cause a fire. But not, okay. It's, but uh, what transpired to make the code change to require the surge protection was we have a lot of life-saving devices in our homes, such as our smoke alarms are AFCIs and JFCIs that have a lot of electronic components built into them. Mm-hmm. And if you have a surge from from a lightning strike or the utility that poses a surge on your line, it's going to fry those devices and they will no longer function. So that's now devices. in the code to have the surge protecting? Yeah. So I, if I heard you right, though, what that did, that observation about the, the life safety, the fire uh, suppression, the uh, GFCIs, the ARC... That moved this from a luxury protection protection strategy to a life safety issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and that's what made the code panels to buy into it. That it, it makes sense that you know these life safety devices need to function. Got it. Got it. So before, I mean, yeah. So you fry your TV. We don't care about that. But you know, if you if you fry yeah. the um, the smoke detectors in your home, uh, then you've got a real problem. Right. You know, that, that is a perfect transition to the question I had for you. Good. And that is, I, so I'm kind of an audio nut. I love hi-fi equipment. I, I, I love all this stuff that we're using to make this podcast. And uh, so I had a question about power conditioning and surge uh, uh, protectors. There are a lot of people in high-end audio who spend a, tons of time making sure that they have clean power going to their hi-fi systems. Mm-hmm. Um what are they investing in when they get a power conditioner or a, a, a surge protector? Um, how could that be better than just plugging your stereo into the wall? I think it provides a more stable connection. Okay. And if there are any surges or spikes in the lines, which do occur, mm-hmm. I mean, even if you have uh, some switching of some motors and stuff in your house, 
maybe a bath fan or uh, uh, a vacuum cleaner, you're going to get some spikes on your line by having the surge protection or the conditioner. It's going to smooth it out so you don't, your equipment doesn't sense those issues that are there. Interesting. But so, so if I hear you right, it sort of cleans up the power and takes away some of those large sine waves that you were talking about. Yeah, the spikes. The, the spikes can create dangerous things like a fire, but I guess they could also uh, create noise, noise. In, a sing- in a signal. Right. Well, that's interesting. That's, that's really interesting. Well, this has been fascinating for me, and you clearly are an expert on all this stuff. I'm really excited to talk to you about all this. A lot of years in the trade. Well, that's good. <laughs> well, and thank you for all your years of imparting uh, this important information to our students. I can't even imagine how many of your students are out there uh, doing important electrical work in our community. So I want to thank you for that. You know, one nice thing about uh, with my experience and also being on the code panels. So I'm teaching the electrical code and these students are actually being able to hear what actually goes on at these code panel meetings. And I, and I think it's more important as an inspector as well as a teacher to, if I go to a job site and you know I could just give them, let's say eight violations or so, it's easier or it's better for me and I think for them to explain why the code requires it as opposed to it's wrong. You can't do it. <laughs> yeah, that way it's not just a hoop that you have to jump through. It's something that we're doing for a purpose based on continuous quality improvement, right? Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Dave, it's been a wonderful conversation. Thanks for being on the show. Glad to be here. Teachable Moment is recorded and engineered by Steve Robinson in the Michigan room at LCC's Down Campus and produced virtually by Brock Elsasor in the Digital Media Audio and Cinema program at Lansing Community College. The soundtrack is licensed through DeWolf Music. Want more Teachable Moment? Be sure to tune in to future episodes, and if you have an idea you'd like to discuss with me on the show, send me an email at steve.robinson at lcc.edu. Until next time, keep learning. This has been LCC DMAC, Lansing Community College Digital Media Audio and Cinema.